0: DW, Living Planet, with Charlie Shield.
1: What will it take to stave off the world's next deadly pandemic? On today's show, we hear how drought and poverty are pushing rural farmers in Kenya closer to the places where diseases dwell. And we talk to a group who are trying to save tropical rainforests and might have just struck upon a way to prevent the next deadly virus while they're at it. All that is coming up, so stick around. Before 2020, zoonotic disease was not a term in frequent use among the general public, at least not in the circles that I hang out in anyway. But since COVID-19 upended our lives and brought the world to a halt three years ago, we've become acutely aware, even if it was reluctantly, of the danger, chaos and grief that zoonotic pathogens like the coronavirus can cause. That's pathogens that spread from animals to humans. And unfortunately, scientists remind us that future pandemics remain imminently possible especially if the conditions that bring them to life go unaddressed. On the African continent alone, the number of outbreaks caused by zoonotic pathogens like monkeypox, Ebola and anthrax rose by 63% between 2012 and 2022 compared to the previous decade. Climate change, deforestation and mass industrial livestock farming all have a role to play. In this first story today, we're going to hear about the forces converging to drive herders from Kenya's Maasai and rural communities further and further into wilderness areas, where they're exposed to more pathogens, putting people and their livestock at risk of zoonotic diseases. Laura Zarm reports from Kenya.
2: Samuel Matinkoi points to a pack of dogs resting in the shade of a tree on his farmland in Kenya's Narok County.
3: This is our security. You know, at night, mm, when you hear them barking, you must know that uh, there's something that is coming. We have a danger somewhere. Maybe the sheep are being stolen. You know, we have these around. People are stealing people's uh, livestock, so that they can slaughter those sheep and goats. So when you hear them barking,
2: you must uh, get out of the house
3: uh, with a spear. So these things are... Dogs are very important to us.
2: Martin Koi says his dogs are like children to him, and he has named each one after a brave animal, like a cheetah or a lion in Swahili. However, dogs are also feared by many people, explains the 29-year-old teacher and cattle farmer. A bright pink shuka, the traditional Maasai plaid blanket, thrown over his shoulder to protect him from the wind that is blowing over the plain.
3: There before, we had two children. Uh, It was sad. They were bitten by a certain dog, and uh, it was painful to lose them.
2: The two children, who had lived in Matinkoi's neighborhood, did not die from the bites, but of a deadly virus that was transmitted by them, rabies. If post-exposure treatment is not given immediately, it affects the central nervous system, causing disease of the brain and in almost all cases leading to death. While rabies has been eradicated in much of Europe, it is still a challenge in many developing countries, says Ezra Saitoti, a veterinarian for the non-profit organization Veterinaire sans Frontières, Germany.
0: The world, um, about 59,000 people die annually from rabies. Uh, majority of these deaths, about 90 percent of them, is from Africa. And in Kenya, we lose about 2,000 people every year to to rabies. And so we don't have any significant data from hospitals about how many people are able to access the post-exposure prophylaxis treatments.
2: The price for this treatment that requires four to five injections is around one to two hundred US dollars, so too expensive for most pastoralists, and many people do not seek treatment immediately. It can take several months for rabies symptoms to appear after a person is bitten by a dog. However, by then it is too late to do anything about it. So more awareness is needed. Kenya hopes to eradicate the disease by 2030. To be able to disrupt transmission, 70% of the dog population has to be vaccinated for three consecutive years. To help reach this goal, VSF Germany has been doing vaccination campaigns for dogs in Narok and other counties of Kenya. The positive change for the communities is obvious, says Saitoti.
0: The program of rabies control among the Maasai population through VSF Germany has improved the living standards, has improved the health, has also fostered the dog-man relationship, the responsible dog ownership. We are also now bringing on board the medical health practitioners. That means we are now having uh, what is called the one health concept being realised even at the grassroots level. So once these people are empowered again, and more awareness is given, more rabies vaccine is brought on on board, I believe that can also contribute significantly to the living standard of these people, improve their livelihoods, improve the health of the dogs, as well as have families that are safe to live with dogs and their lives also safe because they don't have a risk of getting rabies.
2: Rabies is by far not the only zoonotic disease, one that jumps between animals and humans, that plagues Kenyans and their livestock. Pastoralists such as Samuel Matinkoi also live in close contact with their herds of cattle, which leads to an increased risk of transmission of other diseases too. To tackle such health issues at the interface between animals, humans and the environment, increasing focus is being put on One Health. This interdisciplinary and holistic approach is important to prevent, predict, detect and respond to local, national and global health threats such as the COVID-19 pandemic. On the national level, Kenya had already adopted an informal cooperation between the human and animal health sectors as a reaction to the H5N1 influenza virus outbreak in the mid-2000s, and this eventually led to the formation of a national zoonotic disease unit in 2011. It serves as a focal point for the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Agriculture, Livestock and Fisheries, with the aim of addressing the enormous burden of endemic zoonotic diseases as well as others. It is co-led by medical epidemiologist Atman Muatondo.
4: People saw the need for people actually to work together. So now, uh, when, even when the office was being formed, uh, now people would see why they need to work together on rabies, uh, on anthrax, all these diseases that uh, were happening even before, but now they appear to be happening more frequently.
2: The unit develops policies and national guidelines such as a rabies elimination strategy and control strategies for anthrax and the bacterial disease brucellosis, which can be passed to humans by drinking unpasteurized milk. It is also involved in capacity building and training and supports disease surveillance and outbreak responses at the county level. Such efforts are becoming more important in Kenya as climate change and evolving land use and socioeconomic conditions alter the disease landscape.
4: Kenya has one of the richest biodiversities in Africa. You know, we have so much wildlife and so much livestock. And um, I think climate change or rather failure of rain, if it doesn't rain, I think it puts a lot of stress on farmers. Animals become weak and farmers become desperate and search for grass whenever it is.
2: In Isiolo County, for example, there has hardly been any rain for the past two years and large numbers of pastoralists congregate around the Mero National Park, explains Muatondo. As the park is protected, grass still grows there, while pasture land in the surrounding area has been depleted by the cattle. Even though it is illegal, pastoralists enter the park with their herds where these interact with wild animals that might be hosts to various pathogens that can be transmitted to the livestock by vectors such as ticks, mosquitoes or tsetse flies.
4: Some of the vectors that are in the park are different from the ones in, in, in farming lands. So some the diseases, when they come out from the park, they have different diseases from what they would have gotten if they just remained in the farmlands. So this is a reality that we face. Uh, There's a lot of human, animal, wildlife conflicts because of that. Um, And and it's putting a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on on, on those pastoral communities. Um, So uh, for me, I think beyond production losses of animals and uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, conflicts among communities because of this strain on their lifestyle, yeah, I think that that, that, that encroaching on forests and parks could be really a danger uh, to, to, to to the animals.
2: With decreasing rainfall and the lands getting drier and drier, herders are having to migrate further and further to find food and water for their animals. And that can also have consequences, says Samuel Matinkoi.
3: Our brothers from other land, they are migrating to this area because this is where now we have these are maize stocks. stocks. So when they move from those areas, they transmit those diseases because we are sharing a common pool of water. Because we have people from Asaymara, they are now here. We have people from Kajada, they are here. We have people from uh, even Tanzania border, the border, they are also here. So the disease transmission is high because we are sharing a common pool of water. That's where our cattle our uh, drink that water from. They also depend that water, and humans also depend on that water. They are here because of drought. They will stay here until it rains. And we can't also stay here. We also move further to the other places in the highlands.
2: The massively growing human population in Kenya is exacerbating the problem. It is estimated to triple to 150 million by the end of the century, Eric Fevre from the International Livestock Research Institute in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, explains what this means. So there are a lot of people who will need a lot of food and a lot of space to live in. So that's on on the one hand. On the other hand, global scale climatological changes are impacting on, on the weather and the climate. So the north of Kenya, for example, hasn't really seen a drop of rain in about two years and so there is a a desertification of that region. So there are more people needing more food and a change in the climate that results in the food-producing areas of the country being squashed into smaller and smaller, relatively smaller and smaller places. So that that creates additional pressure on that land, and that requires a lot of management, and I'm not sure we really know yet exactly how to solve some of those problems. The area where Samuel Matinkoi lives in Narok County used to be communal. Parts of the land were left to rest and rejuvenate in the rainy season, so that animals could graze there in the dry season. Now the area has been subdivided into smaller parcels, mostly used for planting maize or other crops.
3: This area was not cultivated, so we had enough grass, but now people are cultivating Initially, people were not uh, educating their children, but now they are depending on this land, they cultivate it for food and to pay fees for their children. So you can see that it is affecting livestock.
2: Despite the impacts of diseases, climate change, and changes in land use, Martin Coy believes that the livelihood of pastoralists where he lives has improved. They have better houses now, The children are going to school, and while they used to depend solely on the meat, milk and blood of their cows for nutrition and their skins for clothes, they can now buy clothes and food at the market or in shops. Health interventions such as the rabies vaccination campaigns by VSF Germany help, too. If a vaccinated dog bites someone, then, just to be on the safe side, The person will only need one or two doses of the post-exposure treatment instead of four to five doses if bitten by a dog that is not vaccinated. We
3: have a dog there, just uh, around here, it bit nine people, but now they are okay. All those people, they are taken to hospital, they were just uh, given a vaccine. And uh, that dog uh, now, let me say, it is like a toothless carnivore, it has no impact.
2: As COVID-19 becomes less of an everyday threat for most of us, Kenya's example reminds us that long-term thinking and sustained holistic action will be needed to face evolving zoonotic disease challenges. Not only to improve the lives of pastoralists like Martin Koy in Kenya, but also to better protect us all from the next pandemic. For DW, this is Laura Zaim reiferscheid in Nairobi. Kenya. This
1: is Living Planet. I'm Charlie Shield. What if we could stop the world's next pandemic reduce carbon emissions and protect biodiversity all in one fell swoop. It might sound ambitious, but one non-profit group based in the United States is taking it upon themselves to try and do just that. And they're focusing on one special ecosystem in particular.
5: We work to reverse tropical rainforest deforestation to really address the climate and nature crisis.
1: Working in biodiversity hotspots in Indonesia, Brazil and Madagascar, the organisation, called Health in Harmony, says the best way to save rainforests and protect the health of the planet and all of its living inhabitants is
5: to support the people living in and around these forests. The question we ask when we sit alongside communities is, you are the stewards of this remarkable, precious rainforest that the rest of the world benefits from. What do you need in return to protect and preserve this rainforest?
1: Ashley Emerson is the Chief Innovation and Programs Officer of Health in Harmony. I spoke to her on the phone from Portland, Oregon, about combining reforestation with community care, what's missing from mainstream models of international aid, and how to prevent the next pandemic. She started off by telling me about the central concept that drives their work.
5: We do it in a unique way. It's through a methodology called radical listening, where we listen to rainforest communities and then we invest precisely in their solutions that they design to address the climate and nature crisis. And what we see is improved human health and improved forest health and drawdown of carbon, uh, supporting thriving of biodiversity and community thriving.
1: And what is the exchange between Health and Harmony and the
5: communities? What do you give them and what do they give you? We invest in solutions in return for their protection and preservation of the rainforest. And what we find in our research, which we do a lot of data collection, is that over 98 to 99 percent of community members want to see the rainforest there for their future, the future of their children and many generations to come. But oftentimes there's extreme uh, pressure on the rainforest, encroachment that can be happening. Examples are uh, gold mining or cattle ranching. And then sometimes there's community-based degradation where communities are needing to turn to the rainforest um, to access liquidity, to be able to address basic needs or emergencies. And so that really ties into the solutions that they design, which oftentimes are Number one, access to high-quality healthcare. The nature of where these communities are based, how far they are from urban centers, the challenge that governments have bringing high-quality healthcare into rainforest communities, creates a complex dynamic for these folks where they need to access uh, emergency resources or basic healthcare, immunizations, et cetera. The second solution that they design is usually some form of livelihoods. So, you know, transitioning away from logging, for instance, was a key design that communities created in Indonesia, where we work alongside communities in Gunung Palang National Park, wanting to move away from logging in the rainforest into organic farming, agriculture, small business development, etc., And then the last design is typically some form of educational intervention, whether that's building out education infrastructure in Madagascar and the communities we work alongside around Manumbu Special Reserve or telemedicine and educational resources in forest communities in the Shingu River Basin. But education tends to be the third design.
1: And can you talk a little bit more about this link between the health of the rainforest and that of humans? What exactly is the dynamic there? What's going on and what has your research showed you?
5: I think oftentimes in global and public health, we think of, you know, prevention in terms of band-aid approaches. Once something's already happened, how do we prevent it from spreading to the rest of the world? I think there's a huge lack of equity, access, so many challenges that we saw in this approach for the global majority not having access to vaccines, masks, healthcare, etc. And so we know that our current solutions only serve very few. You know, for myself, I was privileged to be able to have access to vaccines and boosters, uh, eventually masks, and could socially distance. That's not the experience of the global majority. And so we have to really flip how we think about prevention and you know, how do we keep these viruses from spilling over into the larger population uh, and moving from an epidemic to a pandemic. And, and what that looks like is centering communities, you know, addressing um, wildlife trade and, and also having better surveillance. And so you know, really being able to look at the ecosystem versus just the forest or just the biodiversity or just humans that live either in or on the periphery or beside these forests is really critical to look at the whole picture holistically.
1: And you mentioned that you gather a lot of data in each of these different locations. What kind of analyses have you done with that data? How do you know that what you're doing is actually helping these communities and the, the wider globe?
5: What we did in 2020 was look at 10 years of health, deforestation, reforestation data, livelihoods, programmatic data, and we worked really closely with our partner in Indonesia, Alam Sehat Lestari, uh, team at Stanford, and looked at you know that 10 years of data to understand what is the impact of investing in community design solutions when you radically listen. You know, does that have an impact on forest quality, human health, uh, and the basically orangutans, the charismatic keystone species of the forest? And what that study showed—it was published in PNAS in late 2020—was that yes, in fact, communities had a remarkable impact on stabilizing the forest within the five, first five years of their solutions being invested in. After that, we saw regrowth of forest. Um, and additionally, communities were also reforesting. And so there was a great deal of carbon sequestration. Um, you also have a lot of below ground carbon that's stored below this forest that was protected and preserved as well. We also saw that 90% of community members who had been logging illegally within the forest, and again, because they didn't have alternative. Uh, livelihoods that they could engage in and when given the opportunity and the startup capital and the training 90 percent of community members transitioned into organic agriculture and this was significant long term as we're now studying resilience of these communities during climate shocks like covid having access to a a sustainable livelihood that's also providing food security during a climate shock is really important, especially when you're cut off from all of your other distribution networks um, and economically you're experiencing very high levels of insecurity and inflation. You know, having access to high quality food is, is very important, especially for the most vulnerable in those communities. It also showed continued protection and preservation of the population of 3000 orangutans living in that forest and then significant degli- decline decline and high incidence of disease within communities and and 67% reduction in infant mortality. And so what that showed is that as communities started to experience thriving, the forest did as well. And so there's also a fair amount of
1: criticism of non-profit organizations that are coming from the global north that go into global south countries such as Indonesia, Madagascar, and Brazil, for example, with an agenda. And they carry out their work in a top down way that fails to properly consult local people about what it is they actually need and what they would like. And this practice is often referred to as neo colonial, as an extension of the colonial project. So, how do you see health and harmony fitting into that story
5: yeah it's a it's a great question and I think it's a a question that all nonprofit organizations should grapple with. I think it's incredibly challenging and I don't think it's easy and I don't think we're perfect at it. Um, you know I, I was trained and worked in international development for many, many years and um, very much saw and was part of how It can perpetuate this colonial cycle of an external expert coming in with a completely um, with an idea that completely doesn't suit the local context that communities haven't bought into, uh, you know, and going through the process of getting buy in. But again, at the heart of that process and at the heart of that approach, there still is this outsider, insider, expert. uh, recipient donor mentality. And so there's so much othering. And I think, you know, a, a big part of our work is to deconstruct all of that uh, and really be the listener and really be the organization working alongside these communities, supporting these communities in the way that they direct and not questioning that direction, even if it seems completely foreign to us, and really looking at all of this through the social, racial justice, environmental justice and equity lens.
1: And apart from scaling up your current projects in Indonesia, Madagascar and Brazil, what's in store for the future of
5: Health & Harmony? Where will we be seeing you? We'll continue to attend the COPs, we'll continue to go there alongside uh, the community members that we work with globally. Um, But we'll also continue to realize that governments alone can't do this. Technology alone can't do this. uh, And there's a solution that exists that's very low cost. And these communities are that solution. And and they hold the the best science, the best wisdom, the best insights into how we can address the climate and nature crisis. We just need to listen. We just need to invest in their solutions. And we just need to appreciate the impact that they're having.
1: Ashley Emerson, thank you so much for your time and for joining us here on Living Planet today.
5: Thanks, Charlie. Great to be here.
1: That was Ashley Emerson from Health in Harmony speaking to me about reforestation and pandemic prevention. And that's a wrap on this week's edition of Living Planet. Thank you so much for listening. If you're keen for more Living Planet, remember you can listen to our past episodes anywhere you get your podcasts, where you can also subscribe for a new episode every week if you haven't done so already. And if you'd like more DW Environment content, you can read us online at dw.com slash environment. You can also find us on social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for DW Global Ideas and Environment. We're also on YouTube and on TikTok. Just search for DW Planet A. Today's show was mixed and produced by Gerd Georgi, Vibke Tegdmeier and me, Charlie Shield. We'll be back next week with more environment stories from around the world.
4: I'm Andreas Becker. I'm Nicholas Martin. This is the story of the biggest cannabis scam
3: ever. This is the story of juicy fields.
1: I've lost 20k.
3: I had 350,000 euros in the
4: account. And the scam might just continue.
1: We have owners that sometimes like to be flashy, hence why they like cannabis and
3: crypto. Money, money, green, you know, like everybody likes
1: money.
4: In this
0: investigative podcast series, we entered a world that we never expected to find. It bears all the trademarks, the Russian nothing. It's a fantasy. People want that. The Russian is the very best. Stop fantasy. This is Cannabis Cowboys. A story about big
4: dreams, juicy money and never-ending hype. Find Cannabis Cowboys wherever you get your podcasts.